This past week, in the last several weeks, the news has been filled with the wildfires in California. They've been raging. The biggest wildfire ever in the history is recorded in California. 750,000 acres burned. And they said that there really is no longer a season for wildfires. They just seem to be going all year long. Hundreds of homes, destructed families, displaced. And as I was reading through the news, one person said, all we can do is pray. Molly Tibbetts was in her small hometown in Brooklyn, Iowa, University of Illinois, or Iowa, a student. And she went out jogging, and she disappeared and hasn't been found. I read the news reports. Again, I saw that. All we can do is pray. And that's so true, isn't it? Aren't you glad that people are saying that in the news? All we can do is, is pray. Why, why do we say that? Why do unbelievers say that? They say it because when we've done everything that we can to solve a problem and nothing is changing we realize that it's out of our control. And we know that God is sovereign, so let's throw it up to Him and see if He can make a difference. Prayer is so important part of the Christian life, and that's what we're going to be exploring this morning as we continue in our unfinished series, a study in the book of Acts, and it's unfinished because we are finishing the story until Jesus Christ returns. We are the bride of Christ. And today, we're going to be looking at really a very humorous story found in Scripture, probably one of the more humorous stories uh, you'll find. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts 12, Acts 12. Read verse 1, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now what Herod are we talking about here? Is this the Herod that Jesus Christ stood before? No, it's his son. This is his son now that's in charge. And he was a violent man just like his father. Passed it right on down. And Herod was so arrogant, people started to call him a god, which was common in that day. And God <laughs> saw Herod did not give praise to him. He took all the glory for himself. So at the end of this chapter, we see that Herod was struck dead immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. 
Now, that's an image you don't want stuck in your head. <laughs> Body being eaten by worms. It's interesting, we studied the story of Ananias and Sapphira last week, and they were struck down dead because of hypocrisy. They were pretenders, and we talked about how we're all pretenders. We need to ask God to help us uh, to be more truthful about who we are and and really grow instead of pretending. So here we see Herod dying, and, and so this would certainly be arrogance. Another lesson, if you struggle with arrogance, that is something that God just won't, uh, well, he'll put up with it for a period of time, uh, but he will enter into your life and uh, speak to you clearly about that. Now, it's interesting. I was studying this past week, and I came across a historical chronology of the book of Acts. Now, many people, I think most people think that Jesus Christ died in 33 A.D., which is not the case. It's more likely that Jesus Christ, based on historical records, was born, let's say, around, I don't know, 4 B.C., and that he died and rose again in 30 A.D. And, of course, that was the same year, the birth of the church. And in 34, we have Saul's conversion. 43, we have church at Antioch established, the great missionary movement. 44, we have Herod's death, which we just read about. And in year 60, we had Paul in prison. That should be Rome. <laughs> Rome. It's interesting to, to look at how many years the book of Acts covers. And Herod's death uh, is well documented outside the Bible. So we know exactly what year it took place. But I think it's helpful for us to understand that people... Uh, were in the early church, and they were there for a while in Jerusalem before they got scattered. And so it helps us to understand the context of what we're studying. So what did Herod do? He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. They beheaded John, or excuse me, James. Now, now who is James. Well, we know who James was, right? I mean, James was one of the inner circle of Christ. He had his 12 disciples, but then he had an inner circle uh, that he shared special experiences with and really closer friends of Peter, James, and John. And James and John were brothers, remember? He called them the sons of thunder, affectionately, because... They went into his, a village once, and they, they didn't want to hear about Jesus. So they said, let's call fire down and torch the place. So that's why they're sons of thunder. They're probably younger, younger in the disciples, you know, group. Uh, so they really had a lot of energy, just teenagers, uh, which really was more like an adult in that day. Yeah, remember their mom said, hey, listen, Jesus, you should... Put my sons <laughs> on your right and, and left hand when, when this whole kingdom thing uh, starts. We also know 
that John was closest to Christ. But the most, most important thing about this verse is that this is the first time an apostle was a martyr, lost his life. And all the apostles, uh, they had been through this period of time, and it's 44 B.C., so it's like 14 years after the church started. First time one of the apostles was executed. Now, John, it's interesting, he was probably one of the last disciples that was executed. Remember, he wrote the book of Revelation. He was on an island. And uh, tradition says that he was boiled in a cauldron of oil. So in that period of time, from let's say 44 to 60, all the apostles died. And they were all martyrs. And that's the amazing proof that Jesus Christ said who he was. Because who would die for a lie, right? They all died. We see James, his life is taken here. Verse 3, And when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. It said, Herod was trying to rule the Jews and keep them happy, and so if that got him excited, you know, let's keep the momentum going and take out another disciple or apostle. This was during the days of unleavened bread. That means the Passover when Jesus Christ was crucified. And when he had seized him, he put Peter in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So, Herod had a plan. He arrested Peter, but he was going to keep him for a period of time, several days after the Passover was over, and then he was planning on executing him. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The question is, well, when James was in prison, why weren't they praying for James? Well, if you look in Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles were put in prison for a short time, and then they were released. So they thought, well, James will be released, but when James was executed, and then Peter was arrested. Fear came over them. Oh, we can't lose Peter. We can't lose another one of our leaders. So they got together in prayer. They were asking God to deliver Peter, to have him released from jail and praying that he wouldn't be executed. Now, why did the people gather in prayer in the early church? Because they were fearful. They were fearful of losing Peter. And friends, when we talk about prayer, we need to realize that the thing that drives us most, most powerfully to prayer is fear. Right? 
Isn't that true that most people will go to prayer, if they don't pray any time else, they'll go when they are frightened and they need something. <laughs> you know, all these different movies where I'll do anything for you, God, to save my life. <laughs> yeah, people really get desperate. You're a foxhole prayers. That's the whole idea behind that. And what I really want to have you remember from our message today is that my prayer drives, excuse me, my problems drive my prayer. My problems drive my prayer. So you have a natural motivation within you to pray because you have problems. We look at it. A very well-known passage in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. What God is saying, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. And he knows that's really our number one concern. Because <laughs> when we're fearful about something, and that's why... There's a fear not in the Bible for every day of the year. 365 times it says fear not in Scriptures. Now, why would that be said so often? Because we always need to be reminded that fear can be dealt with by trusting God. Some people say there's 366. That's for leap year. (laughs) You go with the number that you would like. Don't be anxious about anything. But, there's a transition word, but (laughs) plays a very important role as we see a different idea coming up. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So if you're anxious, what should you do? You should pray, right? There's no reason to be anxious when you have a sovereign, loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God that's waiting for you to come and give that request to Him, to give that burden over to Him. He says, yeah, in everything, no matter how minute your fear might be, God is concerned By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so many of you have experienced that wonderful peace of God that comes to you in the midst of your pain, and it doesn't make any sense, but you just have a a confidence in God that He's going to bring you through this. So let my problems drive my prayer life. Let's say that together. Let my problems drive my prayer life. Louder. Let my problems drive my prayer life. Now, you see, if you get that in your mind and you go into this week and you confront a problem, (laughs) what are you going to do? 
Hopefully you'll pray. Hopefully you'll bring that to God. We need to come to Him. And, and let's face it. Most of our time, we're trying to avoid problems. We're trying to plan and control our lives so problems won't come our way. Well, they keep coming, don't they? If you don't have a problem, just wait, right? Yeah, problems keep coming. The classic passage in James 1, 2 through 4 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So various kinds, in the original language, just speaks of a, a variety of colors. There's so many unique problems that we run into, right? So many. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It says, count it all joy. We don't typically get joyful when we have a problem show up in our life. We don't say, oh, I'm so glad another complication came into my finances. Isn't that great? You know, another huge bill to pay off, uh, repair on my car. Well, this type of joy is not a happiness type of joy. This is a deep-seated joy because you're looking forward to how this car crisis is going to help you grow in Jesus Christ. For you know that the testing of your faith, your car repair, costly car repair, produces steadfastness. Let's say that you have a problem that lasts a long, maybe several weeks, maybe several years. And you wonder, why isn't God doing anything about this? Well, he's molding you, forming you, helping you to become more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal in this life is to become more like Jesus and give him glory. For what he does in your life. So, so how are you going to be steadfastness? That idea of keeping to it. Keeping to it. I, I know so many of you are suffering with different issues. You think of, let's just say grief. Grief. Some are you in the midst of grief right now. Others of you have, have gone through grief. It's a long, long process. But in the midst of that long process, God draws you closer to him. Let's just say that your life was perfect. Let's just say you didn't have any problems. You just went about life and everything turned to gold. That you touched all relationships were just so satisfying. No employment issues. Your life was good. How many times would you go to God and ask for his help? Never. Why would you do that? Life, I've got this under control. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing a pretty good job. And that's where we live many times. Yeah, I got this. I got this. You know, we, we don't like to depend on other people 
and we don't like to depend upon God. It's because of our pride. How many times have you prayed in the last week, let's say? Now, if you took those times that you prayed, just like the financial gifts that we give, that we sacrifice to God, uh, that's an indicator of where we are spiritually, how generous we are in honoring God first with the resources he's entrusted with. Well, your prayer life is an indicator of how you're growing with God. And if you're not in prayer to God, well, that shows that you need to grow. You need to realize, hey, if I'm not praying to God, that means I'm not depending upon him. And what God wants more than anything is an intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. He wants you to live with him day by day and walk with him and abide in him. And you know what the tool he uses to drive us into that relationship? It's our problems. But my problems drive my prayer because we all have problems. And that's the motivation to go to God in prayer. Now, it's interesting that as we talk about our discipleship pathway, and there's all different types of um, people, but they're unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus. And they will do the SOS prayers, right? Oh, God, help me. I don't know what else to do. And then we have the new Christians, the new Christians who are just learning about the power of prayer. And as they get started, usually uh, they're praying a lot because they're excited about their new relationship with Christ. And then you have the growing Christians. You see, you mature in your prayer life. The bottom line prayer is, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, with this problem. Now, if you move along the discipleship continuum what you'll learn is that prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines. It's something that we really should develop into a habit. Develop into a habit. We should, we should have a time alone with God, our tag time, or I like the idea of a chair time. A chair time where you pick out a certain chair during the day uh, at the same time every day. And you spend 15 minutes with God. Now, do you have that time? Well, look at how we spend so much time with social media. What if we just took some of that time and took that 15 minutes to connect with God? Because studies show that if you have that regular time of connecting with God on a daily basis, you're going to grow. You're going to develop that relationship that we're talking about. So you learn about prayer in that way. That needs to be a regular part of your day. And then you need to learn that you need to pray for other people because you can pray power into their lives. And, and then you learn that, again, prayer is all about a relationship. So prayer, the, the purpose of prayer really is 
to grow closer to God. It's not necessarily to get your problem solved, right? Now, again, it, it happens that way, but what God wants is you depending upon him, and then you learn that when you go to God in prayer, you need to start with thanksgiving and praise. I mean, he's the one. You've got to say, God, I'm so glad I'm here with you, and let me just praise you. Let me lift up your name and appreciate who you are and all the things that you have done for me. And so you're abiding with Christ. You're praying throughout the day. And then you learn the importance of, of prayer with other Christians. And I just love our small groups. We're coming up on a new uh, fall season. And if you're not involved in a small group, I would encourage you to step up. We have a lot of new groups starting. And boy, I tell you, where do we pray as a church? We pray in small groups. That's where people learn how to pray. That's where people learn to pray out loud. And you say, well, I would never do that. A lot of people have said that, but during that small group experience, maybe it'll take two or three years. <laughs> but you learn that, hey, prayer is just talking with God, no special language, just sharing my heart with God because he wants to hear me. So what I've done is I've outlined how a person might grow in their prayer life. But I'll tell you what, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how mature you are in Christ, I'll tell you from my own testimony, it's still fear that keeps my prayer life strong. It drives me. It drives me to God. And the more you understand that God is there to help you and you know, good things happen, that's it. But again, after being a Christ follower for so long, it's still my problems that drive my prayer. And if I'm in the midst of a real challenge in life, I'm going to be praying a lot more than if I wasn't. In fact, that's why God allowed it in the first place. He wants to drive us toward Him. James 1.5. In this process of sanctification, that's the idea of growing more like Jesus. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So you've got this tough process of being steadfast or challenging things. And what you need to do is, you need wisdom? Ask God. How many need wisdom? Oh, man. Anytime anybody says, how can I pray for you, Dennis? Oh, pray for wisdom. I need wisdom in every area of my life. Let my problems drive my prayer life. Let's say it together. Let my problems drive my prayer life. We see it again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. And, and typically we think of that of being in an attitude of prayer. And it's just like Jesus is right there with us, and so we'll just, you know, have a conversation with him throughout the day. But also in the original Greek, there's the idea of intensity. The intensity 
of your prayer life. I tell you, when I'm going through pain, my prayers become a lot more intense. There's a lot more emotion. There's a lot more saying, God, I don't know what to do. Please help me. Please help me. Again, let's say it together. Let problems drive your prayer life. Say it again. Let problems drive your prayer life. Say it again. Okay. That's it. That's what God wants to teach you or remind you of today. Go home and share that with your family. Put it on Facebook. Email a friend. This is what I learned today from God's Word. Let's continue on in our story. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. <laughs> I mean, back in Acts chapter 5, all the apostles had been put in prison, and they were all released, as I said. So he's going to make sure it doesn't happen this time. Sixteen guys, four shifts, six hours apiece. He's chained to one on the right and the other on the left, and then there's two of them at the door. Here's thinking there's no way that Peter can get out of this one. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Now, you got to imagine this. Right? <laughs> you got one of these really, you know, Roman prisons, not a pleasant place to be at all. Not like our prisons today. And so Peter is laying there, sitting there with these two guards. And he was sound asleep. And all of a sudden, an angel comes, you know, and the light fills the prison cell. Now, friends, as we read in Scripture, every time an angel shows up, people are terrified. They lose it. They fall. They, they repent. They do whatever. It's an angel. And what's Peter doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. I love it. He struck Peter on the side. <laughs> you imagine this angel just kind of nudging him, like, wake up. <laughs> and Peter's, you know, kind of in a daze here. Now, why was he so appeased? Because you got to remember that there were, I don't know how many days he was in there, maybe five days. But this day, he knew, the next morning that is, that he would be executed. He knew that. So if you knew the next day you would be executed, how would you be sleeping? <laughs> Not very well. So, so why was it that Peter was so much at peace? Now, a lot of people say, well, Peter was a man of great faith. And yeah, apostle, they could do that. I don't think that's the answer. Why? Is he so full of peace? You know why? Because there are people praying for him. 
And I tell you what, the first night that Peter went to jail, everybody gathered at the house. And the next night, everybody gathered at the house. And the next night, everybody gathered at the house. Five days, maybe, of prayer going on for Peter. When was the last time you gathered with other believers or gathered with a friend to pray for something over a period of three or four nights? I don't have time for that. Well, you, you better make time, right? I mean, when you have a problem, you need to share that with other people. That's the beauty of, of, of the body of Christ. The people out there doing Christianity solo, I don't need the body. And oh, mercy, they're so deceived. Because we are to support one another, we're to hold each other. And this happens again so beautifully in small groups. I tell you, when somebody goes for a challenge in the hospital, lost a parent, whatever, that small group is praying for them. They know that person. They love that person. And they are a tremendous support to them. You need a prayer team and you're alive. Make a prayer time. Pick out maybe... Three, two, three, four individuals you're close to. And every time you need prayer, send out a prayer text. When's the last time you sent out a prayer text? I need prayer. Or an email. Or whatever the case might be. Because I tell you, we just are so independent. We don't want to let anybody know that we might have a problem in our life that we can't handle because I'm supposed to handle everything for Pete's sake. I'm a man. I am a man. Society says, get it done. Don't be asking for help. Oh, man. We need to humble ourselves, you know. There's nothing more beautiful than to be able to share that with brothers and, and get that encouragement from them. So it says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. I can imagine... These were old rusty chains on his wrists. They were heavy. And uh, they were uncomfortable. Imagine that moment when they fell off. How good that felt to have freedom again, maybe after five days. Friends, that's what happens when you give your burden to Jesus. When you give your burden to other Christ followers who can pray for you, you need the power of God. And God wants to carry your burden. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. There's a lot of directions that are, what? What's the deal with the directions? Well, and he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He's like, what is going on? He, he just he thinks that it's a vision, something that he's experiencing. It's not really reality. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. 
Now, this was no simple garden gate, guys. <laughs> this was an iron gate leading into the city. I mean, it was a massive iron gate. Wouldn't that be cool? Just have a gate open for you? Well, you know what? We're all looking forward to heaven, aren't we? We know that Jesus Christ resurrected body. He could walk through walls. Now, wouldn't that be fun to walk through walls? Think of the time you could save if you could walk through walls. Well, friends, that's what Jesus Christ resurrected body, and we're getting something similar, so we can look forward to that. <laughs> it opened for them and went along one street. Immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. You ever had that experience? You know, you're, we're working through a problem. You don't see progress. And it just goes on and on. And then all of a sudden, boop, the light goes off in your head. You say, oh, I can see clearly now. I can see why that happened and that happened and that happened and that happened. And what happens is, is that every time you have that aha experience, you grow your faith. Just like so many people go to the gym, right, to grow their muscles, to strengthen their body. Well, again, they've got to, again, tear down the muscle, right, in order for it to grow stronger. And it's the same idea in the Christian life. Every time you say, Lord, you got to take care of this, and he does, your spiritual muscle grows stronger. Your faith muscle grows stronger. And if you haven't had that experience, you aren't trusting in God. So do it. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many people were gathered there and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Well, you got to remember that Peter's a fugitive from the law. <laughs> he doesn't want to be hanging out anywhere. He's knocking on the door, and she hears his voice, and oh, it's the guy that we've been praying five nights for. He's outside. I've got to tell everybody, and she's not clearly thinking, so she leaves him at the door. Look at this. Then they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is an angel. Come on, laugh with me. That is funny, right? I mean, here they're having this multi-day prayer meeting, praying for one thing. And this servant girl, Rhoda, comes up and says, he's here, our prayers are answered. And they say, you're out of your mind. You don't really think that he would be released, did you? I mean, we're just praying here. It's what we're supposed to do. We're not expecting that Peter will show up at the door. You ever had one of those experiences, huh? We've well, been praying about something, and boop, right away, 
that God gives you the answer, that God gives you the relationship, that God gives you the peace, that God gives you the financial resources. You go out to the mailbox. You've heard so many stories like this. You're struggling financially, and you find an anonymous gift there. That is what we're experiencing here. I didn't expect a gift from God. I thought maybe I could get another job or something, but, but God showed up with a letter. That is so exciting, isn't it? It is his angel, his guardian angel. But Peter continued knocking. Help, let me in. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. When was the last time you were amazed by God? You were amazed at what he had done. When was the last time? And if it's been a long time, friends, I just encourage you to let your problems drive your prayer and ask Him for big things. And He's going to amaze you. Not all the time. He shows up in different ways. But we all experience that when we put our faith in Him over a period of time. Motioning to them with His hand to be silent, He described to them, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Now, that was another James. That wasn't James the apostle. It could have been the brother of Christ. Then he departed and went to another place. I want you guys to pray with me. I want you to reflect. Where, Where are you at in your prayer life? Where do you need to grow? Let's put it this way. What's a problem right now that's on your mind? Just take a moment and ask God for his help. Just silently ask God for his help. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray for myself, I pray for everyone, because we can never get too close to you. We can never pray too much. And no matter where any of us are in our prayer maturity, I pray that this week, when a problem comes up, that we would pray to you. It might not be immediately, that'd be great, but maybe somewhere, oh yeah, Problems, let my problems drive my prayer. I pray you would remind us of that. We thank you, Lord. Ah, We thank you for what a great God you are. In Christ's name, amen.